When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 280 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me is my friend, and maybe yours, it's Levon, aka Barcelona. How's it going, Levon? I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing okay. I think I would be better if, and people know I like to do this shamelessly from every now and again, if you give us an Apple Podcast review, that would make me a lot happier. Today's day and age with me now doing the show twice a week. We're trying to expand the audience. I like how the community is really rallied after this whole messy business. So if you give me an Apple Podcast review with five stars and a nice little comment to try to spread the popularity of the show, that would be very helpful. But Levon, today we are talking Coutinho. We got a little bit of a news dump, whether it's Umtiti, Ilash, Mariba, or Sergio Roberto. And then we've got an interesting topic at the end that I'm excited to get to, and that is what Barcelona looks like the year after a very important star has left, which is a situation that Barca is in this season. So I, I just kind of want to go back through the history books and think, you know, when, when that guy, when that magnanimous character leaves, was Barcelona shaking in the wake or did they find a way to rebound? and try to go through that. So I have a few examples of that. I'm looking forward to that at the end of the show. So make sure you, you stay tuned. But first, we start with Coutinho. So I don't want to retread the whole transfer thing over and over about his price tag and how he's failed to live up to expectations. It seems like he is staying, though, and maybe it's just posturing, but Kuman has said that he does want to use him as well. And before we get to his playing stuff on the field, I want to ask you, you know, I saw you on Twitter. We're kind of getting into it about the, the shirt number. So do you want to do the, the the number 10 shirt thing? Any opinion you have is more of an opinion than I have of it in total. Okay, so 
The first thing is that um, my tweet basically said that I don't want continue to stay. I don't want continue to play. But if he stays and if he plays, we might as well give him the number 10. If he makes it work, awesome, excellent. We can only be happy. If not, then at least whoever takes the number 10 after that doesn't take the number 10 um, after, after Messi. So I, I think this is almost a win-win because uh, if, if we lose, then it's still a win. It's using him as not even a sacrificial lamb. That's a little harsh, but yeah, it's that if you're just using that number 10 shirt as a bridge. Yeah. Right. Cause you wouldn't yeah. want to throw, you know, for example, Gabi, you wouldn't want to throw him into that shirt in no. a year from now, just without having it ever been vacated by someone else. Right. Exactly. So you don't want to uh, put that, that weight on people's shoulders. Literally. I hear some people say that we should retire the 10, which is the biggest pile of, smelly stuff that I've ever heard because you don't retire a number 10 in, in football. Number 10 is an emblematic number, more emblematic than any player, even the best player of all time. The number 10 at Barca in particular, I don't think that there's any club in the world who's had so many wonderful number 10s as, uh, as Barcelona. I very much want to uh, enjoy Barca number 10s in the future. Thank you very much. So yeah, no, I agree. there's going to be no retiring. Yeah, I agree. It's about the number 10 number that, if anything, we always hope that the next, not even the next Messi, but the next greatest player in the world is also a Barcelona player and also in that number 10 shirt. So, yes, you always want to keep that open for sure. I mean, another idea, this is another crazy idea that would potential, but like a bridge, what if you gave that number 10 shirt to a player like Inaki Pena? who obviously is a third string goalkeeper isn't really going to play because the whole point about the number 10 shirt at all or having that shirt is that the first team can, can register 25 players at, at max. And so why would you, if Pjanic is stuck at the club, if Mtiti is stuck at the club, if Coutinho is stuck at the club, why would you still not register them in that 25? And they all have to have a shirt number. And if there's 25 players, then someone has to have it. And so that's what I mean. Like for Naki Pena, there's no pressure of number 10 shirt because giving a 10 to a goalkeeper is a weird thing to do. It would be unprecedented. So it would feel uncomfortable, but I mean, losing Messi feels uncomfortable. So I, right. I, that's why I'm more open to that idea that Inaki Pena is not going to feel the, the, the weight of the number 10 shirt, obviously, unless, <laughs> unless he wants I mean, to on a bicycle kick on a, <laughs> and then a 95th minute in the Copa del Rey. I don't know. Nobody's going to expect Inaki Pena to break Lionel Messi's scoring record. Right. Like that's for sure. I I really like that La Liga has um, the the numbers one to twenty five like as a mandate. Uh, like those are the numbers that you use, because I hate when I see players wearing like number ninety nine, or number seven plus two, or all that nonsense. I, I like my classical football numbers. I would not. I think actually, La Liga dictates which numbers goalkeepers can wear. So, for example, number number twenty five needs to be for a goalkeeper. Number one as well. So, I'm not sure that we could even give Iñaki Pena, Iñaki Pena the, the number ten. So, speaking of number ten, we're going to go back to Coutinho because he's the main focus here. Barcelona isn't using a number ten per se, and then I'm not talking about the shirt number. I'm talking about literally like the attacking midfielder, what you'd expect from a number ten, and he's going to have to, to me, play coming off that left wing. So, I've already given the whole. The point here about what I'm going to say, and that pushes Memphis to the middle. So with Coutinho, I'm looking through it, and I don't know how he doesn't start on the left wing. I'll let you respond to this first, but I don't 
there's no way that he should be in a midfield three. That doesn't make any sense to me. And he should be coming off the left wing. That's the only chance that he has of, I think, being even useful. Do you agree with that? Do you see the same thing? Um, I think his ideal position in the camp now is when I'm uh, in the stadium and he comes into the stands and maybe he gives me a foot rub uh, while, while I watch the game. That's, that's about as close to the pitch as I want him. Um, right. Well, I don't think that's going to happen, so you're going to have to watch him. So let's, let's do the thought experiment. Okay. Um, for me, midfield. Midfield. I don't like him at the, uh, on, on the left wing uh, for, for Barcelona, even less so already having Memphis and um, uh, Griezmann and Yusuf Demir. On, on our squad who, when they play in the offense, they are already like the guys who uh, want the ball in the feet and try to play off of either people making runs in front of them or um, people playing with the back uh, to the goal in front of them. Uh, so for me to add Coutinho to that mix is the same mistake that, that we made previously when we had Coutinho on the team and Balberta kept playing him on the left wing. I just don't think that works for us. I think it might work if we had different forwards that he could combine with. And then if he would have a, a free roll starting from that left wing, but that is not our reality. Uh, we signed him for midfield. The person who scouted him and uh, made the decision was very clear that the reason that he signed him was to take over on midfield. Um, unfortunately, the club was such a mess that the people making the signings and the coach were not aligned at all on how to use certain players. So we, we signed a player for 120 plus 40 million in order to play on the left wing, even though we signed him in the midfield. If we had stuck with him in the midfield the year that we got him, maybe he would have adapted. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure about that. I think he, for, for the system that Barcelona is playing, especially with Busquets still as that pivot, I think he gives the ball away too much as a midfielder. His, his rate of ball retention is just so much lower than De Jong. Pedri, Busquets, and any midfielder that's been successful for Barca for the last 10 years or something. And I keep the reason the other reason for left wing is because, yeah, right. We want to make sure where does he fit in this ideal world to make sure that it makes sense? Because I agree with you that you cannot play Griezmann and Coutinho together, especially on wings, where one is an inverted winger at best trying to get onto his right foot from the left, that being Coutinho. And the other one is a secondary striker trying to get onto his left foot from the middle. Putting them, in, putting them in precisely the same half space on the field, which does not leave a lot of wiggle room for anybody. And right. And then how, I mean, defensively, how are you set up in the right position to defend counterattacks? The answer is you're not. And that's why Coutinho just looks like, even though he's trying to defend, he's not defending in, in the right positions. But then mm -hmm. looking at the way he succeeded, he played fine, I guess fine, which is what I, what I want to say, as a central attacking midfielder. So he technically did play as a 10 at the beginning of last season when they were playing at 4-2-3-1. Messi was out to start the year, so that's an important note. And Coutinho was playing decently enough next to Fati. Uh, it wasn't earth-shattering, but he was helping the club win matches, and he was more a you know net positive on the field than he was a net negative. But now okay. here, so no, now no, I'm agreeing, he was okay. So I keep looking and staring at the page and the roster, and until Fati comes back, which apparently is after the September international break, but we're still going to be hopeful and patient on him, along with Mugetha coming back then. And then Dembele is in October, November, whenever. Brothwaite was technically the left winger against La Real. And then that leaves Memphis and Griezmann, who also started on that front three, to play as the left winger. Aguero and Minaj are strikers, and Yusuf Demir is only a right winger at this time in his career. He's not yet comfortable on the left at all. So 
to me, that says that Barcelona are going to, and then Callado the same. I mean, the manager doesn't trust him, told him to get on loan. But if they are going to play him, then he should be on the right as well. So Barca are going to need Coutinho. It looks like they're just going to need him on the left because they don't have that many left wingers. They're, they're another injury to Fati or they're, I mean, God forbid, an injury to Griezmann or Coutinho. I mean, uh, Griezmann or Memphis. Or, or else you're basically saying that Martin Brothwaite is going to start, what, 25 to 30 matches on the left wing if Fati isn't healthy? It, it, I mean, is that what we're talking about? I mean, I'm yeah, missing. Um, I I prefer Brathwaite next to Depay and Griezmann than than Coutinho. Well, yeah, so because, do I. Because the best the best team or the best combination of players are not always the players who have the most uh, talents, but the players who fit best together, right? You're right, but even rotation. We're not just talking starting. I'm saying is like there's, I mean, almost 50 matches in a season. So I mean, you can have. That's what I'm saying. So you're gonna have Brathwaite I mean, play. 70 to 80 minutes, I mean, for every match. And that's what I mean. Like, where is the depth on the left wing if Fatih's not healthy and Dembele's not healthy either? We, we have Memphis. We have uh, Griezmann. We have Brethwaite. All of them can play on the left wing. Uh, we have Yusuf Demir, who has also played on the left wing on occasions. We have Petri, who has played on the left wing for Kuman. I don't know if we have anybody in the youth setup right now. Um, maybe Elias but still too early for him, I think. And Ilyash Ekomash is better on mm. the right wing as well. I mean, you have on the left wing, you basically have Niels Mortimer and then Zachary Gailan are the two that mm. are currently like floating around there for Barca B. Sure, but you could you could uh, call up Ilyas in order to move uh, Griezmann to the left, for example. Sure. So, yeah, I, mean, I would do that with Demir. I mean, yeah. obviously, before. He's, he's sitting there already. So, yeah, I mean, I, underst- I, I understand that. I just, I'm saying, you know, injury-wise, cataclysmically, on the, on the left wing. Cause again, we could, you and I are trying to game plan this so that why would you need to have continue on the field at all? And I agree with you. I mean, I'm going to say something really crazy here that I'd rather play Ricky Pooge over Coutinho at left wing, given the choice. And I do say that in earnest that Ricky Pooge, he played false nine throughout most of his Academy mm-hmm. time. Then he moved back in the midfield and clearly what he's doing in the midfield is not enough to get him a spot. And there are certainly things that he's missing there. So I would throw him out on the left wing that I would Coutinho just because he is a little more comfortable with the style that Kuman's going to be playing in that four three three this year than Coutinho is, and I think I don't the- think that's crazy at all. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, well, I appreciate that. I, I <laughs> to be a little sane, but you know the thing about Coutinho, I think that's even more frustrating to connect to the the price tag is that what we're always expecting of him based on the price tag is that he is such a confusing twenty nine year old that. He came, at, uh, he came up in Vasco da Gama's system where he was really, really promising, but still only 3.42 million euros was paid by Inter Milan to see how promising he was. Didn't really work out at Inter. Goes to Espanyol under Pochettino. It's fine at Espanyol. It only plays 16 matches, five goals. That's good. But again, it, not anything special when he, he left in what is it, January on loan. So not that many opportunities. Then to Liverpool for five years on an 11.7 million euro transfer. And he was best when the lights were brightest. And that's when he really shone in, in, at Liverpool. But even at Liverpool, you wonder if it was just the timing and the circumstance in which he got his opportunity. Because the minute they had an established front three of Mane, Firmino, and Salah, they were like, oh, of course we'll sell Coutinho to Barcelona. We don't really truly need to hang on to this guy. But, but the funny thing is, he just, and, and this is the numbers that I looked at, he's just off his goal scoring record with Liverpool at Barcelona. At Barcelona, he has 23 goals and 90 appearances. For Liverpool, it's 54 and 201. So he's just he's just off the pace of what he scored at Liverpool, right? And so how can he be doing a similar job in Barcelona 
than he's almost on pace to do at Liverpool, where he was breaking the world open. Right. I know. How many, it's goals, a, how many goals could he score in his last two two seasons at Liverpool? Well, it was the lion's share of those in the last two seasons. So yeah, he basically has had. Let me check real quick. It was also eleven and thirty-eight for Bayern and five and sixteen, as I said, for Espanyol. But those are, are smaller sample size. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's, it's weird, too, that personality-wise, we're expecting him to be this world breaker. We're expecting him to be this 160 million euro personality, but he's not. He's like this quiet guy that even the Brazilian national team has not flocked to because he's not. he just doesn't have that off-the-pitch thing. I mean, the, the fact that he did the, 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 the ears at the Camp No, 
is so uncharacteristic from everything we've always seen from this like soft-spoken player in his career. Right. And it, it's just it's so odd. I mean, because in most other circumstances, there's no COVID and you can get rid of these kind of players that just don't fit. But that's that's what you're stuck with. No, we already had trouble getting rid of him before COVID. Right. That's true, too. Um, I, I do think that the reaction of the Camp Nou to his uh, putting his uh, fingers in his ears was way over the top. Like, I, I never felt insulted when he did that. You know, I see footballers do things that bother me a lot more than somebody putting his fingers in his ears, which Memphis does all the time, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, I, I wonder if everybody wants Memphis out the moment that he scores. So that, that was never an issue for me. Uh, I, I just thought that he was a spectacularly uh, poor fit, so much so that uh, despite all of his talent and all of his quality, I still struggle to see where he would fit right now. Um, however, if we play him, I would sooner play Coutinho in midfield and push uh, on the left wing than vice versa, even. Yeah, I, I just, I can't, I think for me, it's a depth wise, I cannot get myself to say that he should be playing over, obviously he's not going to play over Pedri de Jong on the interior spots, but I don't see how he at the interiors plays over Roberto, Puj, or even Gabi either. I would take all three of those. Um, yeah. again. But, same, same here. Yeah, I mean, so we're just trying to posture. I mean, uh, we're trying to figure out why Ronald Koeman is saying I like him and I want to use him. Is 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 this truly just posturing? Is he is he actually not going to use him? Is is this truly just Koeman? I mean, I, I think Koeman likes him. But where? That's what I'm saying. Is like we can't seem to. You and I even can't seem to figure out where that is. Well, I told you where I would like him. Right, and I said I I, 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 I don't think Koeman shares my thoughts. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, it could be it could be as soon as this weekend against Athletic Club that we might see him on the field, but I'm not sure about that. But I think it also might be another week or two. Barca B does start at the end of the week. I mean, the end of the month. So that is when Balde and, and Gabi and Demir will likely be heading back down. So that bench for Barcelona is going to get awful thin and you're going to see faces that you don't really want to see on the bench on the bench. So I just want to mm-hmm. warn everyone for that, but there are first team players that Barca actually will not have enough people. I mean, that's why Ray Minaj, another reason why Kuman wants to keep that many strikers, just guys who are going to put the ball in the back of the net. That's why Raymond Aj is now a first teamer who's going to be on the bench every match. And he probably won't play a lot, but he'll be available. And maybe he will play depending on the rotations. And you know how Kuman at the end of the last 10 minutes of a match, if they're especially if Barca are down, he's willing to throw on as many forwards as he possibly can. And that's another reason why Raymond Aj is, is sitting on the bench. Yeah. I mean, Kuman is almost like one of those hockey coaches. So I'll just take the goalkeeper out at the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like Minaj. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if he gets minutes. I'll be very happy for him. As for Coutinho, well, let's see. The other thing that is weird is that even though he is fit, he was not actually in the squad list, neither for the league opener nor for the Gampe. I mean, well, that's what, if we're to be believed from what's coming from Barca or even, even social media, Brazil, the, the federation has kind of said that he wasn't fit. Okay. So, I, I mean, again, that's all, stuff, that's all mur- murky stuff. and. It was uh, with Barcelona in particular that knowing that Pjanic is also said to be not fit, but we also know that Pjanic is fully fit and just preparing himself to desperately try to make a move. And, you know, so Coutinho seems like he'll be around. I think the club has thrown their hands up, said it's impossible. There's no way we're going to move him right now. They're not going to move him TT either because he doesn't want to go. But it was coming out this week now that can Barcelona terminate his contract if he doesn't take one of the deals from other clubs? I mean, they can, yes, legally. But is that, I mean, paying his... The duration of the contract now 
is that something that behooves the club to do? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Okay. So I'm not sure how sports contracts work in Spain. But, right, um, that's where my computer comes, yeah. but me working in Spain, uh, if my employer would choose to terminate my contracts uh, without just cause, I can fight it. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can go to a judge and say, hey, you know, um, they should not have fired me. If the judge tells me I am right, then my employer will be obligated to pay all of my salary from the time that uh, they fired me until the time of the verdict or until whenever I got another job. So this really, this really sucks for most people because people cannot afford not to work. So if they get fired, um, yeah, they can uh, open a court case, but it will take two or three years before the court case gets resolved. Right, you need to pay attorney fees and... Mm-hmm, exactly. Well, you might find an attorney who says, no, I'm going to take it for free. I'll just take a percentage of whatever right. uh, whatever your employer will or your ex-employer will give you. That's not, that's not the issue. The issue is how are you going to eat? How are you going to pay rent for the two years that you're waiting? So you're going to have to get a job. And once you get a job, the judge will say, yeah, well, you know, they're only going to pay until you found another job. So if sports contracts work the same, Barcelona could easily fire Umtiti and then hope that the court case takes one or two years to resolve. I imagine it will be a bit faster for Umtiti and Barcelona than it would be for uh, me and my employer. So that means that, yeah, they would have to pay the entirety of his, of his contracts, but really they're not going to pay all that much more than what they would pay him over those two years anyway. It's just that they defer that payment. So that, that is my possibly uh, incorrect understanding. Yeah. Of, well, of I mean, situation. I, and as I'm going to take it one step further, but you said on principle, I would keep him in the squad and just have him there as opposed to just having to pay this down the line again. I mean, kicking the can down the road is partially what has led to all the problems. And I, you know, again, this is just on principle. I, I'm not an accountant. I don't know what numbers are going on and what we're speaking of, but I, I, I yeah, I've, it's, if, it's, if it's financially beneficial to the club to terminate the contract now and then to kick the can down the road, sure. But that would be to get under, uh, you know, pressure that's right in front of your face. But uh, if it's not going to be that helpful and it's just merely something the club is doing on principle, then it's, I think it's a wrong principle to take. But I think the principle that we've spoken about before that the club is taking that is correct on Ilas Moriba, this is where Barca does have the upper hand, as opposed to Pjanic and, uh, and Coutinho and Titi, where the players, as we've spoken about in recent weeks, they do have the power because they do have the contracts. Ilas Moriba is either going to be sold this summer for somewhere around 15 million euros, or he's potentially going to sit in the stands. And just reading through this again, I know we've done this, we've done this before, but with Barca having the upper hand, I mean, it would be absolutely absurd. And this is not against Barca, that it would be absolutely absurd for an 18-year-old to sit in the stands for a year. I mean, to me, that is beyond comprehension. And I know, again, you're going to put it on the kid, but I mean, he'll be held accountable for this his entire career. How many very, very, very successful players sat out? I mean, yes, when you're injured, that's one thing, but how many sat out? So that means no trainings, no weight room, no film sessions, no nothing, right? That they sat out for an entire year of their career. I mean, for me, I'd, again, it's going to go on him, but I'd fire my agency yesterday and get anybody else to negotiate the deal with my new club. Because as much as he was getting bad advice, if your agency puts you at 18 years old in a circumstance where you have to sit in the stands for an entire year, that is the worst agency that you could possibly have. So even though it's on him for being led astray by this agency, 
I mean, I, I went through it well with you the two or three weeks ago about where we're going. Like mm-hmm. they they're, they have had zero to little success with any of their top level clients. And it looks like they failed him too. So yeah, I would immediately fire them and then see what I can make work in 12 months at Chelsea or at Leipzig or wh- whoever is willing to come calling them. So keywords here, you would immediately fire the agency. He likes, doesn't. It's on him. And the fact that he prefers not to play in order to get a bit more money to be a bit more of a multimillionaire a bit sooner tells you a lot about him. It tells you a lot about him as a person. It tells you a lot about that family. And I'm not saying that you know they're right or wrong. I'm just saying that my values are different. And you know that's, that's all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, right. They, they, they choose the agency. The agency does not choose them. Yeah, I mean, there is something to be said to about Again, it's, I, think, I don't think any of us are ever in the position to question whether or not there is maybe even an essential need for that money in the short term over the long term. And I know we're talking about millions, but even then, I mean, the player himself isn't getting that, that, that much money. I mean, you're talking about, I, I don't know. I, my, my point is like morally, I'm not going to posture about how much a family needs money or what kind of money we're talking about. Or, you know, even at his age, at 18, his contract is not generational wealth. It's, it's, it's basically what, most of us would hope to make over the course of our lifetime, yes. But for a professional athlete, the contract that he was even trying to, to get again, is it's going to be necessary for him to get his next big deal. Because his next big deal is the one that's going to be generational wealth, the one that's going to be truly, truly life-changing. Because now for a professional athlete, the contract that he's looking to sign, what was it? It was $3 million or something, right? That it's not, and he wanted six. I, I don't remember the figures, but right. Like that's money that's going to be good for a regular person, but for a professional athlete, that's not the contract they want. They want the next one. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd say good luck to him. Let, let's do the Sergio Roberto thing because Elash, he's either going to be in the stands or he's going to be sold. I hope the club is able to sell him for 15 million to Chelsea or Leipzig, but I mean, they don't, nobody seems to have any money at all, but hey, we'll see. No, but 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 even, even when you're talking about like his next contract will be a generational one, uh, the club already have offered him a two-year contract or uh, maybe maybe a two plus one, yeah. uh, so, so, that, so that he would be able to negotiate it earlier mm-hmm. uh, once the club's finances are better. So I'm, I'm not buying it, you know? Well, let's do the I'm, Sergio Berta. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying it. Because he's almost the opposite. Sergio Berta will be at the club, so kool get used to his face. It's a two-year contract extension. He is taking a big pay cut to help out the club. Uh, he is the third captain reminder. And it does seem like Barca chose Captain Roberto over Carlos Selena, who was sold quite cheaply, I think, actually, to Hidafe. So it looks like he'll be in the midfield now. We're going to do that experiment after eight or nine years <laughs> again. Uh, but yeah, Sergio Roberto is going to be part of the club. And Levan, especially for Barcelona, in Barcelona, in Catalonia, Roberto on the internet is obviously, he's the guy right now after Rakitic. He's inherited the, you can do no right. You are not up to the quality of Barcelona. That is seemingly what the group think on the internet has decided. He can't, I mean, if he is a backup midfielder, then maybe he'll be forgiven a bit because I think a backup midfielder at Barcelona is much, much closer to his level than a starting right back. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So he basically with this two-year contract is going to be changing his public perception by not only changing his position, but changing his entire role on the team and basically being less important. That would be the way to galvanize him. But it, do people in Catalonia support him a bit more there, not only because he's, he's Catalan, but because he's a captain and everything? Uh, I would say to support him a bit more because he's Catalan. Also, you know, his, his face was one of the big 
faces uh, planted on the comp now in the in the promotional uh, uh, posters all, all season last year. People know that he had a poor year, but they also remember his uh, his good performances. It's not that long ago that in one of the very few interviews that Lionel Messi gave, he called Sergio Roberto one of the best right backs in the world. You know, so I, I don't think anybody wants to keep him as a starting right back. I don't necessarily think uh, he has a lot of people uh, passionate about keeping him on the team. Having said that, if he takes a pay cut and that pay cut already goes into effect this season and um, he uh, extends his contract for, for a couple of seasons as a squad player, hey, let's see. I think an, another huge advantage of players taking these pay cuts is that we might be able to move them next season. Because right. then if, if next summer we say, hey, you're not going to play anymore, another club will be willing to take on that salary. So that, that is a little bit the risk for, for those players taking the pay cuts. It's that it makes their position in the club less secure long-term, even though you would think it's the opposite because you know they show their goodwill in agreeing to a pay cut and in return stay longer at the club. Exactly. So, that is the business side of it where, where in the U.S., obviously the NBA has a salary cap. And so you'll see players sign contracts that are tradable, if you will, that they seem to be good deals for the teams. But, and, and if anything, the player is betting on themselves on a one-year contract. But that means in that one year, they are able to be moved because they are at a number that teams are willing to go in on. And so if Roberto is worth his value because of the pay cut he took, other clubs are going to be willing to take on that. And it's just a matter of how much does he want to continue to pay for a club, probably for less money, because now he's in a circumstance, in, as opposed to being overpaid at Barca, now he's in theory being underpaid and could be paid more. I mean, look how much Pedro has made since he even left Barcelona, whether it was Chelsea and he just signed with Lazio, I saw today. So Pedro has wound up, as they say, making his bank or make, getting, his, getting that cheese, you know, quite a lot, or make, getting his bag, I'll say it a million ways, that uh, Pedro's wound up getting his bag when at Barcelona, he was paid handily, but still when it was time to re-up him that final time, I think it was that time he was, what, 30 years old, I think he was, yeah. when he left around that? I don't know. I, just, I, I, I don't really see that. They, they, they all make so much more money than most of us will ever see in our lifetimes. Right. That for me, it's very hard to conceptualize how my life would be better with 10 million euros on my bank accounts or 5 million euros on my bank accounts. I'm, I'm, right, I'm sorry. Right, that's... Of that's the happiness quotient. No, I agree with that, but it, there is a market. And so these players are operating in this other financial system, in this, in this financial market. So that's what we're talking about, the business side of it. So, all right. I think we bored ourselves enough with the money talk. Let's end this, this show with the final segment. And that is seasons after the stars. So I've got a few and you, you know, we were talking about this before we went on air and you are going to be adding some nuance and a monkey wrench into this. I understand that. So I think we end with your monkey wrench, right? I want to start with some Kubala, some Ronaldinho. I have Cruyff the player, and then that's going to give away the monkey wrench you're going to throw at me. So I do want to start with uh, Lazo Kubala here. Though what, basically what we're doing and the way I set this up is another coping mechanism I have for losing Messi is I went back in our history books and I looked at Barca's history books and I looked at what the club, how the club succeeded or what the club did the season after they lost what you call this, you know, again, magnanimous star, the star that dictated for Kubala. That's where we begin. The, the star that is the reason why the Camp Nou was built and created and came to fruition 
that's how big of a star Kubala was. So I want to put that in context that Barcelona at that time was Kubala. Yes, there were a bit of Helena Herrera, who was the personality that that was pushing the team forward. He was, unfortunately for most people, as I say, Herrera was a lot like Mourinho is now, Jose Mourinho. But yet, Helena Herrera was the personality pushing forward. But Kubala was that star who was, when he was gone, he was going to get the, the statue. He was, it was everything. So 1960-61, Barcelona finished. This is the last season with Kubala. They finished fourth in the Liga, eliminating the round of 16, the Copa del Generalismo. They lost in the final of the European Cup to Benfica. It was pretty sad. And then made the quarterfinals of the Intercity Fairs Cup. At the time, there was it was tons of tons of talent, though. Santa Cosis, Zoltan Zibar, Anthony Ramayets in goal, Juan Segarra, the long-term captain, Fran Olivella, Elegio uh, Martinez, Avaristo, Justo Tejada, and, and the Spanish Luis Suarez. So they had just tons and tons of talent at the time, uh, the, the team of the five cups. Then 1961-62, this is kind of where my hypothesis, Levon, already gets blown to the moon. Because you lose Kubala, and then you also lose uh, Zibar, Tejada, Luis Suarez, and Ramayets. So you lose, arguably, your four or five biggest names on that team. And yet, the next season, they finish second in the league. So a two-position uptick. They make the quarterfinals of the Copa, so they get one round farther. And then they're finalists in the Intercities Fairs Cup. So they do two rounds better in that competition. Better in every competition they played in. And then even having lost Kubala, he became manager when Luis Murillo retired. So all that said, my hypothesis in the first one is already blown up because they lost all of that talent, not just Kubala, and yet the team fared better. Yeah. But we see this all the time in football. You know, the, the most talent uh, on the pitch does not always translate um, to the best team on the pitch. And also, like, I was not there. Um, I know that Kubala spent more than 10 seasons uh, at the club, you know, and by the time that he left, was he still the same player that, uh, that he was when he arrived? You know, I think that um, stories of his alcoholism are wide and spread. So I'm, I'm not it. sure I how... Training. Yeah, missing training. That's <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> No, uh, there, there's this famous story about how when they once came back from a European uh, European Cup and at the airport, the security guys or the customs asked him, hey, do you have anything to declare? And he's like, yeah, three bottles of whiskey. And it was like, can you show them? And he's like, well, they're in my belly. Um, and Barcelona at the time weren't going to push him out the way that Puskas was kind of pushed out at Real Madrid, where at Real Madrid, Santiago Bernabeu, not the stadium, but the man, would always tell Puskas, hey, you're the best Hungarian player. I mean, you're arguably the best player in the world, but you're, you're getting fat. You're, you're not in shape. And so they pushed him out in a way that Kubala wasn't truly pushed out by Barcelona. He kind of was able to get on and carry on with his, some of his behavior. Uh, and yeah, you could almost argue that losing Spanish Luis Suarez, who became a, he was a star at Barca, but he became a superstar at, uh, at Inter Milan, obviously. And that was also under Helena Herrera, who went to Inter. Um, but sure. you can say that Luis Suarez and Ramayets were actually two of the bigger losses than Kubala even at the time. You're correct. So let's move to Ronaldinho, though. I'm going to let you fly here on this one. Uh, I'll just set the stage at 07-08, Ronaldinho and Frank Reichardt, third in the league, the semis of the Copa del Rey in the Champions League, and then 08-09, of course, Pep Guardiola in treble. So yes, it has something to do with the manager, but uh, also Ronaldinho was the end of that era. And the other era kind of snap into gear pretty quickly. Yeah, but I mean, here again, Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho arrived in 2003. And I was already a Barca fan when he arrived. I remember 
I actually still remember when I saw Ronaldinho score a bicycle kick, I think for a friendly in Brazil. I don't know if he was already at Paris Saint-Germain at that time or if he had not even gone to Paris Saint-Germain that, uh, then. And I was still very young. And just because of our Brazilian connection of Romario and Ronaldo, I said, oh, now I want Barcelona to sign Ronaldinho. So when we finally signed Ronaldinho, I was very happy. Like I was not at all down with the, with the Beckham uh, rumors. I was uh, not a socio then. I couldn't vote. Uh, I would have still voted for, for Laporta because he had Christ backing. So I was very much uh, supportive of uh, Elephant Blau. Uh, but I was not like Laporta said that he was going to sign Beckham, yeah. which in the end was an outright lie because he already knew that Beckham was going to sign for Madrid and they ended up signing Ronaldinho. And I was delighted because for me, Ronaldinho is the kind of 10 that you want to have at a football club such as Barcelona. So when we signed him, I was happy. I actually, the first time I went to the Camp Nou was when Ronaldinho was playing because I was like, okay, now I absolutely need to go to the Camp Nou. I was already a bit older. I, I had the money to, to actually do something like that. So my first match to come now was on a very cold, a freezing November night uh, on, on, on the third ring. Uh, I, was, I did not have enough clothes with me. So I was absolutely freezing, um, but I was very much enjoying mostly Xavi, actually. Xavi was playing a wonderful game and Ronaldinho was, was okay. Xavi, I mean, Xavi's okay. He's good. All right. Yeah. But I was very, uh, I was mesmerized by a very young Xavi who, uh, who never lost the ball ever. Um, by the time that Ronaldinho left, like his level had already dropped significantly. Right. And not in a way that people could argue about it. Because people have argued about Messi, saying, oh, he's not as good as when he was 25. But, but Messi is such a god to people that, you know, they, they, they take that insult, like as if you're talking about their own mother. But Ronaldinho's level had clearly dropped. He was mostly scoring from set pieces. Uh, he was not fit. He partied way too much, or maybe not enough, depending on your point of view. But for a professional football, a football player, he partied too much. So it, and it was also very, very, very clear that Messi was ready to take over the team. Right. And I remember a reminder, too, that Terry Henry was brought in in 07, 08, almost as a replacement already. So Ronaldinho was sitting watching the guy who was brought in to take over for him while he was still at the club, uh, as opposed to in this Messi case, the opposite, that if a player were to be brought in in the next, as you know, I said on the last show this week, that if we are to believe Laporta that the club is financially in, you know, say ruin for 18 to 24 months, it's going to be a little while before a megastar. You might get other players. Like again, free transfers are possible. You could get players on a cheap superstars that want to come to Barcelona, but getting a 80 million or 90 million euro player, it might not happen for two. There's one to prepare everyone for that. It could happen. Who knows if money or contracts or TV deals or, or, or there is an injection of money somewhere. We've heard that things could happen. So I'm not saying no to that. It's impossible, but I am saying that it based, if it's just Barcelona working against their own debt to try to sign one of those mega uh, expensive players that it's not going to happen. But so it's all that going into it, that there is no one player that can replace Messi, but obviously Barcelona are going to try to spend money on the next star. So whatever next star is coming again, there's going to be no overlap Um, in theory because of Messi's two-year contract with PSG, in theory, Messi could be his own return of the superstar in two years prior if the club is really in, in that financial shape where they can't sign an 80 million or 90 million euro player. So yeah, Ronaldinho's situation is different. So let's, let's wrap it up with Johan Cruyff because this is where the monkey wrench comes in. So I said Cruyff is a player 
who who would come in 1974, they win the Liga. And then it's, I don't think it's as well documented. People think for Cruyff as a player that he changed Barcelona completely. It was actually his manager prior to that in Venus Michels that was already kind of changing the way that they were playing. And then Cruyff wound up being the talent as an pl- individual player, the two-time Ballon d'Or winner at the time, that pushed that over and won Barcelona their first La Liga in, in quite a few seasons. I mean, more than a decade and a half since Kubala. So he retires, actually retires from football after the 1978 season, leaves Barcelona, but then immediately comes out of retirement and played in the U.S. due to losing a bunch of money in a pig farm scam. So I know, can't make that up. Look it up. You'll, you'll see. It's, it's a whole thing. So that's why he played in the U.S., 1977-78 with him, his last season, Barca finished second with 41 points in 34 matches. Real Madrid won 47, uh, won the league with 47 points. Isn't that nuts? And then they did win, that being Barca, his other, his other trophy, that being the Copa del Rey, and they made a semifinal the UEFA Cup. So they wind up do winning a trophy before he leaves. And then the next season, they finish with 38 points, so three points less. But that puts them in fifth instead of second because the rest of the league had improved. Then Madrid, Madrid again win the title with 47 points. And then Barca do win the Cup Winners' Cup, but we're limiting the round of 16 of the Copa del Rey. But can, as you kind of said to me, that Cruyff as a player, it's kind of not only was it a different time to understand and conceptualize where La Liga was at the time with the dictatorship having just ended and then just Barcelona trying to figure out its new place in, in what Spain was going to be. Cruyff as the player wasn't really pushing La Liga forward and wasn't really pushing Barca forward at the time. And certainly you have the argument about the, the manager thing. Yeah, I mean, the I was a player. He completely changed the club in his first season. Uh, but in terms of titles, he did not continue that success during his time uh, as a player because they lost the next three leagues. So in four, in four years, Cruyff has only won one league and, and one Copa. Uh, and when he left... He did not really leave to set the world on fire at, uh, at, at other clubs either. So he went to, to the United States, I believe, when, when the whole pig farm situation uh, went south. Yeah, he played for the Los Angeles Aztecs and the Washington Diplomats and, and the Washington, NASL. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and then, then later, what is interesting about Cruyff is he went back to Ajax, which is his, uh, his hometown club. Uh, and, and he played there until he was 36. Then when he was 36... The Ajax management said that he was too old. What did Cruyff do? Do you know? He went to Feyenoord to said, "Hey, <laughs> hey, yes. uh, eat, eat my socks." And then he wound up being the Dutch Player of the Year and yeah, won he... the title at Feyenoord, which was unprecedented. But you're right, you're right, Levon. From basically, it was six years of him being in this kind of like football wilderness a bit, even though he went back home to Ajax. Exactly, and um, Ajax and Feyenoord is like Barcelona and Madrid. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it was a very conscious move uh, for him to basically say, hey, screw Ajax, even though he's from Amsterdam, he's from the Ajax youth system, and he's been very involved with Ajax for the rest of his life also. Uh, but that year, he said, screw Ajax, and, and, and he went to Feyenoord, and uh, he won the league with Feyenoord. Other names that I think are interesting here, Maradona. Mm. Because Maradona did leave the club uh, while he was still young, and he did leave the club to do great things elsewhere uh, and Maradona even though it did not work out he was still so obviously great he was still the most brilliant player a lot of people had ever seen on a pitch and he would have that, st- he would have stayed at Barcelona if he hadn't lost his mind in the Copa del Rey final the infamous brawl that, that basically was the end of I think it might have been the end of him anyway but prior to that 
But that was the final, if, if reports are to be believed, that was the final nail in the coffin. That once yes. that happened, the Spanish government said, you, you just, you can't, he doesn't represent Spain, doesn't represent the Liga. You got to get him out of here. Uh, no, it's Barcelona themselves, not the Spanish government. Barcelona themselves said, hey, no, this is this has gone too far uh, because the, the relationship between Maradona and the club was completely broken anyway mm-hmm. because um, he had a leg, leg injury, a very bad leg injury by the butcher of Bilbao. Uh, and his life was completely out of control. Um, he contracted hepatitis yeah. D and that kept him out for quite yeah. a while. Club representatives would go to his house and they would barely be welcome. There would just be like wild stuff going on, on in the house. It was just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. And Napoli was a lot better fit for him for a little while at least. However, it might have been too much of a good, good thing for him in Napoli. I think Maradona is what he is, but Maradona left the club. And uh, the, the year after, nobody wanted to wear the number 10. All of his teammates were like, no, God just wore that number. I cannot put it on my back. But uh, this Scottish guy named Archibald came in. He took number 10. I think we were coached by Terry Venables. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a Barca DNA type team but they actually won the league for the first time since uh, since Kaif had won it 10 years earlier. And then in 86, they did get to the European Cup final against Albuquerque. They do lose on penalties. That is a, a what-if moment in the club's history if they'd won their first European Cup at that point. But yeah, that the you're, you're right. Bern Schuster and that style, Alexandre, yeah. the whole style did change. You're right, that mm-hmm. Barcelona went away from some of its ideals to play a different style. And that is actually probably the best example, Levon, of what we've kind of done, what we're hypothesizing and trying to put a bow on this whole conversation that that was probably the one example where the team changed its style because it had lost its McCurl talent to push them forward. And with, after Kubala left, because Herrera had left, they changed it a little bit. But again, they had lost such a, a supreme talent all around the field. They had to change the course a bit. And then Ronaldinho, they were going, basically taking what Reichardt had done, and then Pep Guardiola was able to build on that house. And they just mm-hmm. needed to add lay- layers to it to, to look for football perfection. But you're right. When Maradona left, the club went in the, the really the only stretch of its history when they just played a different way than we would expect them to in the era what they were playing. Uh, now, football at that time was, it did not go through its 90s renaissance because even in the UK, things were... It was a lot of punching, a lot of kicking, <laughs> a lot of nasty stuff in the in the fans. I mean, in the stands and, and on the field. But so from what the, the we could go talk about other players, too. But like the dream team, we didn't really cover them because they trickled out one, one by one over a few seasons. And I think Cruyff leaving was a big situation there. But I mean, yeah, there was one season when Cruyff took a bunch with him or they left as he left. But the same, I think, can be said with Xavi and Yesa Puyol, Danny Alves. You know, they all left in different seasons. So, you know, I think it's a little more, the error is kind of changing the amount of time, but yeah. And if you've got a point on the dream team, please. Um, I actually think in, in Cruyff's last season, Kuman 96, Stoich- right? 96. So before that season, Kuman and Stoichkov left in the same summer and that well, and Romario left in January. He left in the middle of the season. Right. Um, so yeah, now just, just to say that they, they did all kind of leave at, uh, at, at the same time, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had Kaif stayed. Uh, but it was, a, it was a different time. I cannot imagine a coach at Barcelona today lasting more than two seasons without winning anything, which is why Kaif eventually uh, ended up getting fired. He also got, um, he also got fired because he never got on well with, uh, with Josep Nunez, the president. 
So they were always at odds from the beginning. Nunez only had him because he was Kaif and he guaranteed success. But uh, Kaif was never very diplomatic about how much he loathed the club president. So when, Cla- when Kaif stopped winning, then uh, that came to, to a very uh, abrupt and rude end. Your comment, I like your comment about how uh, we changed our style. Um, I think, if anything, now that uh, we have lost Messi, which none of us should be happy about, but what we can see happening is that we actually go back to our style, that we stop depending on the genius of one man who, slows, who does slow play down, but actually play more as a team, both press in a team, but also what we saw against uh, Real Sociedad, how, how quick all of the combinations were to go forward. So there were a lot of quick touches and a lot of movement rather than Messi slowing down. We give the ball to Messi and he, and he does what Messi does. I'm not saying that one is necessarily better than, um, than the other, but I do think that we should appreciate uh, the opportunity that, uh, that this team has to, to show, showcase its talent and to, to make us enjoy football. Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave that conversation. Uh, before we leave, I have one one-off real quick. The Femini was also in action. They were la- in action last night. They, without Jenny Hermoso, fell to Lyon 3-2 in the ICC. That's the International Champions Cup here in the U.S., Mariona played really well. She, again, she's one of my favorites. She's just an underrated player on that front. She's not one of the superstars, but Mariona is the glue that I think holds that midfield, I mean, the forward line together. Played really well, banged in both goals, but still no Engen, Rolfo, or Lecky Martins. So I'm not going to freak out about the result. It's also preseason. Bruna Villamala, the 19-year-old, played well in the start, and it was definitely interesting watching. It, for me, it was interesting watching a team go toe-to-toe with Barca after so, so long. That Atleti lost last year in the league late when all the trophies were won. I mean, it was kind of, you know, that happened. And then I thought even against Lyon, I thought Barca were better. They just didn't finish their chances. And that is a stark reminder that if they're knocked out of the Champions League this year and don't repeat winning the Champions League again, the Femini, the reason will be that they miss their wide open chances because they create chances better than any other team in the world. No team moves the ball like they do, even Lyon, even a team with that kind of superstar talent. I thought the Femini were just better. So yes, uh, if, it's, if they are knocked out, it's going to be sad. It's going to be frustrating because it's going to be because they had the chances and they didn't convert and other teams had less chances and were able to put the, the ball home. And that's what happened last night. They lost 3-2. Atleti is a good team. Like they've always had, they all, they have always had a good Femini team. I think maybe three seasons ago, I went to a Barca Atleti Femini game and I, I was very impressed. About the Atleti Femini, you're saying? Yeah, so the Aleti Femini last season really took, they won the Spanish Super Cup from Femini, but then they won, they won against them in the league. But they, when you saw them, they were winning the Ligas. And yeah. last season, the worry became that Atletico Madrid was no longer going to put the financial backing into the club, uh, into the, the, the women's team. But my hope is that the pressure from Real Madrid and Barcelona, now Real Madrid's finally injecting money into that side. My hope, and Levante as well, I'm hoping that Levante and Atleti don't take a step back and that there continues to be a bit of competition, even though the Femini are just so, 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 so superior to the rest of the Spanish league again this season. My hope is that the other teams are at least a bit, a bit better, where I would hope in the Champions League you'd see the same thing, where we have multiple Spanish clubs getting far in the competition. Because at, at this point, the women's game is going to deal with the same thing that the men's game could deal with, where you have only the places where there is financial investment is there 
uh, any success. I mean, and that used to just be Lyon and Wolfsburg because those were the only two teams that were putting any major financial muscle over the last 10 years. And so it didn't matter league because Lyon just, they dominated what, 14 straight French titles or something. So a little bit of parody is okay, but the rest of the Spanish league now has to catch back up to Barcelona. That's for certain. Yeah. I think Paris Saint-Germain is developing their feminine team as well, right? Yes. PSG, Bayern Munich, Chelsea women, Manchester City, Manchester United. Uh, those are the five that have put money. And it's unsurprising with the clubs I just named, but they're all putting money into their women's because as I talked about with Emil, I think last week or, or uh, yeah, two weeks ago that the women's game it's, you know, the, 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 the stupid straw man argument that it's going to overtake the men's game popularity is, is, is stupid and, and trite, but there I is... I never heard anybody make money, that argument. Right, right. There's money to be made. There's money to be made in supporting the women's game, especially with their broadcasting rights. Again, this was on big ESPN here in the United States. So there are people watching, they are pulling in numbers, and that means revenue. So investing in the women's game also does mean future revenue. So uh, I think that's where we end it. I think we had a really good conversation. If people enjoyed that part of the, uh, the season by season or the superstars after the season uh, conversation we had, again, put how much you liked it in an Apple podcast review. So I know I was hopping on that today. I'll be quiet <laughs> now, but I appreciate Levon for joining me and everybody else. We're on Twitter, Instagram. Give him a follow as well. We just hit his name in the show notes and you can give Levon a follow on Twitter. That's Barceleb. Then we have a closed Facebook group. That's been getting a lot of new members. So I enjoy seeing that community there. Patreon as well. And you can help us support the show over there. A little incentive to support the show is that you get these ad free. And then we're on YouTube. I've been doing these five things we learned the day of or you know, just a few hours after these matches. That's the Barcelona podcast on YouTube. Subscribe, all that stuff. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barca. Peace, go Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.